Well, there are a lot of ways that churches deal with the Word of God. There are, there are many ways to say, people say that we teach the Word or preach the Word. At Countryside, we've always taught using a method which we call expository teaching or expository preaching. The idea is they take the Word of God and you go verse by verse, passage by passage through the Bible. The goal is to understand the passage in its context, making application from the truths and principles in our lives. We try to bridge the gap from the world to the Word and get to put it back together. We use this method for at least three reasons. One is... So we understand the word in its context, so that we see the context of the scripture, and that we study it verse by verse, passage by passage. We see how it fits in the context, then we see how the passage, letters, and books all fit together, and see how that flows, and then study the entire counsel of God. So you can't skip the hard passages. You can't skip things that you you don't want to deal with, because the truth is, if you only if I only taught what I wanted to teach, I mean, there would be probably four or five big areas that I'd love just to teach all the time, but you can't do that because then we miss out on the rest of the scripture. So this evening's passage is a sad passage, and a lot. A lot of times we'd say, well, why don't you just skip it? Because if you just get straight forward, Abraham's wife dies. He has to go to the Hittites, to the sons of Heath, and uh, get some land to bury her. That's the story. We'd say, well, that's, can't we go on to chapter 24? Because that's the bride for Isaac. And that's, that's a long passage, 60-something verses, and there's a lot of good things in that. We'd say, well, you just can't skip it, though. In fact, one time I talked to somebody, and they said, you ought to skip chapter 23 because it's too sad. Well, um, you know, if you're like me, when you study these things, I mean, I feel like I know Abraham. I mean, you've been studying it all this time, and you've been with him everywhere he's gone, and you say, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, what are you doing? And he lies, you know, and you want to just get over, and, and so now it's, this, it's Sarah's died, and you feel like you know, you knew Sarah, and you feel like you wanted to go over to him and say, gee, we're... We're really sorry. Is there anything we can do? I mean, you know, that's how we feel. Well, there's some great truths and principles. You know, all Scripture is inspired by God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is a point for man to die once, and then after that, the judgment. Death comes. We're seeing the death of Sarah. Now, there's some, there's some questions that we want to think about as we look at this. How do we face death, our death and others? How do we face life? Grabbing for the gusto or seeing the kingdom first? If you remember, it used to be a commercial that says, go for, you know, grab for all the gusto you can get. Well, is that how we look at life or do we see life kingdom first, that idea? And then how do God's promises affect the way we live? It's sort of a key. And as we begin, sad time for Abraham. He's lost his wife. He has come through some great times. The offering of Isaac. He's become a man of faith. What happens now? Sarah dies at age one. 27. Think about that. Let me break down the passage for you. Here's what we'll see. In verses 1 and 2, Sarah's death, the morning. In verses 3 through 16, Abraham buys the burial plot, the cave of Machpelah. And then 17 through 20 is basically the burial and all that that happens. Let's see how this ties together. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 23. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. It's been um, about... 37 years since the birth of Isaac. You know, they probably thought they'd never have, you know, they just, when it first all happened, they thought, okay, God's going to give us a child. And then 25 years went by before they had the child. They probably thought, we're never going to live long enough to see the child. Then they get the child. They thought, well, I don't know how long we're going to live after this child because he's 100, she's 90. But she lived 37 more years. And, of course, Abraham's still going, right? And uh, notice what it says. Sarah died in Kirith Arba. That's Hebron. In the land of Canaan, 
And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, this is the place. Hebron, Kirith Arba, or Hebron. That's, uh, there's th- three or four different names for this city. It's, it's a famous city. It's Hebron. It's in the land of Canaan. It's the first place they came when, uh, when they crossed through the Chaldeans and came into the land. They actually came to Hebron. It's the promised land. And now she's died there. And now listen to this. She's died in the promised land. Special woman. We always call Abraham the man of faith, the father of all who believe, but she's also the mother of all who believe because she trusted God too. The book of Hebrews says by faith she, she trusted God that she would have that child. And at 90 years of age, she did. Abraham went in to mourn. Notice what it says. He went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. You know what he meant? They, they put her body. They put her body in, in a, most likely in a tent. And he goes in there to be in there with her. And, of course, what are you going to do with that body? You can't leave it there forever, right? I mean, not for long. They didn't have the same things things we do today. So he's got to bury the body somehow. It says that uh, Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. There's death. 927, we die. The human race dies. Let's think about uh, some truths and about some problems. The first of all, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is Death. So death has entered. Because of the fall, death has entered the human race. So how do you view death? I mean, think about it. How do we deal with death? The Bible says this, and it's a great truth, that in Adam all die in Christ. All are made alive. We've been doing a study on Wednesday night called The Relationship of Christ and the Church, and we talked about the idea of a, of a connection as Jesus is the last Adam and we're the new creation. And we realized that in our connection with Adam we die, but in our connection with Jesus Christ we live. And we all come to this world dead in trespasses and sins. We all come to this world connected with Adam. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're connected in Adam. The truth is this, in Adam all die in Christ, all will be made alive. And there's a truth that sometimes we don't understand. But the truth is because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, every human being, believer or unbeliever, will be made alive. Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. First Corinthians 15 says, Jesus Christ has conquered death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, de- grave, where is your victory? There's not one. Because Jesus Christ has died and rose again, every human being is going to rise from the grave. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Now, everyone that has ever lived will come back from the dead. Now, we used to say everybody's going to live forever, but here's, here's a better way to say it. Everyone's going to exist forever. Because they're going to be raised from the dead. And some will exist forever with Jesus Christ. We will live forever. This is called eternal life, living forever with Christ. Some will be raised from the dead to exist forever, separated from Christ. The Bible doesn't call it life. It calls it the second death. And they will uh, be dying forever, separated from Christ. At physical death, people will either be with Jesus Christ or separated So everyone in this room, if the Lord tarries, every one of us in this room will die physically. What determines whether we'll be with Jesus Christ forever or be separated from ever? Well, the basis, of course, is faith. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins. When we trust in him, he gives us eternal life. John 3, 18, he that believes is not condemned. No separation, but he that believes not is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So a question that I could ask, and I know most everybody in this room, in fact, I know everybody in this room, the question would be, where are you headed? At death, where will you go? Where will you be? Will you be with Jesus Christ forever in eternal life, or will you be separated from Jesus Christ forever in the lake of fire? 
There's only one way to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name given under heaven among men, while we might be saved except the name Jesus Christ. Death is the last enemy, and it's already been conquered by Jesus Christ. There's still physical death, but it will not last forever. Human beings will be raised from the dead. Sarah has died. It's not over. In fact, do you understand that Sarah's alive? In fact, do you understand that every human being that's ever died physically is still alive? To be absent from the body for a believer is to be where? Present with the Lord. To be absent from the body of an unbeliever is to be where? Does anybody know? Sheol or Hades in the heart of the earth. They're not sleeping. And they're not annihilated. They're existing even now. That's why when... When Moses saw the burning bush and God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all dead. But they weren't dead. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they're still alive. Even though physically they're dead, still alive. Do you understand? Jesus Christ has conquered death and he's conquered physical death as well. So even though Sarah has died and her body's there, She, at that stage, because it's Old Testament, is in the heart of the earth in Sheol in Abraham's bosom, named after her husband. (laughs) Sarah died in Kirith Arba, that's Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Abraham went into the morn for Sarah and to weep for her. There's time of sadness and loss. Now, sometimes people say that, well, Christians shouldn't mourn. Because shouldn't we be all happy when a loved one dies and with a loved one who knows Christ and they're present with the Lord? And shouldn't we all say to be absent from the body is present with the Lord and that we ought to be happy? Well, we can be happy for them, but we're sad for us. Because they're with the Lord and they are happy. But we are going to miss them because they've left us and there's a hole there. Now, First Thessalonians says we mourn, but not as those who have no hope because we have the hope of eternal life and we'll be that person again. We mourn because of the sadness and the sorrow and the time of separation, but not as those who have no hope. So how do we view death? We realize death is not the end, that Jesus Christ has conquered physical death and eternally people will either be with Jesus Christ or to be separated. So he goes in to weep for her. So just picture him probably going into the tent where she's laid there, and he's weeping for her. Wow. Do you realize that it didn't say in the Scripture that he wept, that he wept when he left her of the Chaldees, and he didn't weep when he was separated from Lot, and he didn't weep when he removed Ishmael, best we can tell from his family unit, but he weeps here. Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heath, saying, that means he got up in front of the body, came out of the tent, and decided that he would talk to the people who lived in the land around him. Now remember, Abraham has a big old property. When I say big old property, he's got tents and people. He had 318 soldiers that we saw earlier. There's no telling how many families are connected with him besides his family and, and his servants. I mean, it's just a huge area. But he goes to talk to the sons of Heath. Now, the mourning period is over. Some traditions, uh, books that you read, they said that they mourned for eight days. Some as long as 30 days. We don't know. And, but he goes to the sons of Heath. The sons of Heath are the Hittites. They're people who are living in the land. They were at the land at the time of Abraham. And he needs their help because what he wants to do is to purchase some land to bury Sarah. Now, even though God has promised him this land, and technically, who owns all of this land? Abraham does, but he doesn't own a single bit of it. It's all promised to him. It's promised to him and his descendants. He could look around at them and say, oh, by the way, I don't know if y'all realize this. This is really my land. 
But he doesn't say that, even though he knows it's his land. He knows that God has made a promise to him that he will give him the land, the seed, the blessing, that this will be his land, and yet he doesn't own any of it. And in order to bury Sarah, what he wants to do is to go buy a little part of the land to put a grave there, to, 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 you know, to put her and put her in the cave of Machpelah. So he owns nothing at this time. Now notice how he describes himself. We've seen, how, does, how do we look at death? We look at death as not the end. Well, notice how he looks at his life. Look at verse 4. He says, I am a stranger and a sojourn among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, here's the second part. We talked about how do we view death, and we've seen that because death's not the end. Now, the second question is, how do we view life? Well, what did Abraham say about himself? He said he was a stranger and a sojourn. He really looked at life as this. He says, I'm just passing through. What is that song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. At death, at the death even of Sarah, at death, Abraham is not thinking of, of right this second. He's thinking of the future. He's saying, I'm just passing through. Two things I want you to realize. One, he knew the lamb was given to him and his descendants. He knew that. It was different. He's saying, I'm just a soldier. And he, he's very wealthy. He has all of this stuff. But what he really says is, I'm just a stranger and a soldier. Because he realized he wasn't the same as they were. But there's a second thing, he belonged to God. He knew who he belonged to, that God had chosen him, and that he's seen things from the eternal's perspective, not the temporal. Very similar to what we talked about this morning in that passage this morning about how do we have any kind of contentment? Well, we look to the eternal rather than the temporal. We don't look at, at the things of this world because it all passes away. You look to the eternal. So how do we view life? Do we view life... Grabbing for all the gusto that we can, the things of this world, saying, I want to get as much as I can get. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. I want this, I want this, I want this. That's all temporal. Is that how you view life? We talked about it this morning. You will never be satisfied. If you think the things of this world can satisfy you and they're the things that you want, you're going to live a very frustrated life because you will never be satisfied. Or do you reach for the heavens, looking to God, the eternal things? Knowing that the things of this world are all just passing away and invest yourself in the things of God. Listen to this. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but this is in Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about how Abraham looked at life. And here's what it says, verse 8, Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Now, he left the earth of Chaldeans to come to this land. And it says he went out not knowing where he was going. Remember we talked about when he left, around chapter 12, and he said, leave. And, and you could ask him, where are you going? He said, well, I don't really know. What's the land going to be like? I, I don't know. Is it going to be good land? I, I don't really know. But I'm trusting God. I'm going. He goes on and says, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He says when he lived in that land, it was this. He was a stranger and a pilgrim and a, and a soldier. And he says, I'm like an alien. Now, whose land does it? It's Abraham's. But he's actually saying, I'm like a foreigner, even though it is my land. And then here's what it says. Why did he do that? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What city is that? You know what city that is? 
That's the new Jerusalem one day. That's the kingdom. He's looking for the kingdom. He's looking to the day that this land will be him and his generation for all, and his descendants and generations for all time. And this will be the land and the Messiah will be there. And, and through him all the nations of the world will be blessed because the King of kings and the Lord of lords will be ruling from that city. And he's saying, look, I know that I'm just passing through this life. And this stuff, it, it's fine, but it doesn't really mean anything because I'm looking to something on into the future to the eternal. And how do we look at life now? How do we look at life now? We've got to have all this. Or are we realizing that one day, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to be in that kingdom with the King of kings and the Lord of lords rules on this earth. And then one day, on into eternity, there is the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem comes down. What he's doing is looking to the promises of God rather than being tied to the things of earth. And we have to do the same thing. How do you and I look at life? Are we trying to get everything we can get now? Or we realize the eternal perspective that we're just passing through you know if you're just passing through those things don't mean that much to you because you don't really care what we have been given from god to be used while we're here that's what we have but we're just sojourners we're looking toward our eternal home peter marshall said this he said may we understand that life is just an introduction to what is to come may we not fall in love with the things of this time but love the things that will last forever may we be saved from the tyranny of possessions and love the eternal. Jesus Christ taught, lay not up with treasures on earth. Why? They're all what? Temporal. But lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because they're eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In Philippians 3, it says, we wait. Our citizenship is in heaven where we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ who will change these old lowly bodies into a glorious body like His. So how do we view life? Grabbing for everything you can get down here. Wanting this, 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 this. Or do we say, listen, we're just passing through. Everything we have comes from God anyway. Just use it for His glory. Don't worry about it. It's not going to last anyway. We've got eternal things that will last forever. How are you investing your life and your time? Those are pretty hard questions. Well, Abraham faces the death of Sarah. It's not the end. That's how he saw death. Abraham faces the aspects of life. This is how he views his life. He's just passing through. He's not tied to this world. But we're going to see his request. And now this ties back to the promises of God. Because if Abraham did not believe in the promises of God, because the promises of God is whose land is this right here? It's his. If he did not believe that, where would he bury Sarah? Back in her family. back Go all the way back to Ur of the Chaldees. That's where his descendants are. That's where his family is. That's why when he gets ready to get a son for Isaac, where does he send his servant? Back to the Ur of the Chaldees. Back to his relatives to get a wife for his son. If he did not believe the promises of God, he wouldn't say, let's bury her right here. He'd say, I'm going to take her back to my land. Back where all my people are from. But that's not what he does. Because he believes this is his land. Even though he doesn't have it now, he looks to the promises of God that he says, you know, when she's raised from the dead, you know where I want her to be? I want her to be home right here. I don't want her to be somewhere else. And you know what Joseph told him? Remember Joseph? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. When Joseph died in Egypt, what did he tell him to do? Don't bury me in Egypt. Just when they get, when y'all get ready to leave, and you're leaving, and you're going back, take my body with you. Because you know what he says? When the resurrection comes, I don't want to be in Egypt. I want to be in my land, the land that God gave me. And this is what Abraham knows. 
Even though he said, I'm a stranger and a sojourn among you, this land belongs to him and his descendants. And when Sarah is raised from the dead, and him most likely as he thinks, I don't know how long I'm going to live, I want to be in my land. So look at his request. He says, give me a burial site, give. Let and The word give there, he doesn't mean like, just somebody give me some land. He's saying, give me something that I can buy. Let me purchase this land. It's significant now. Most of the people at that time were buried in their hometowns where their relatives were, but now she's going to be buried here in the promised land. Watch what happens. Abraham says, I'd like to get some land to bury Sarah. The son, Verse 5, the sons of Heath answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. Now, they think he's great, and he is great. I mean, if you talk to the people there and say, what do you think about that guy Abraham and that, all that stuff over there? They'd go, he's he's some kind of guy. I mean, he took 318 people and whipped five kings, and he, he seems to, God, God seems to be blessing that guy. So you are a mighty prince among us. And so what do they say to him? You're a mighty prince, so just go ahead and, and take any of our land and, and you can use our property and you can bury your dead in the choices of our graves. In fact, you could hear somebody say, listen, I, there's my property. Just just use just use some of that and, and bury Sarah there. Just, yeah, we, we would love for you to do that. Uh, none of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. See, if he does that, whose land is it? It's still their land. He wants some land to bury Syrian that belongs to him. He doesn't want a rented grave. He wants the land. So look what he does. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heath. And he spoke with them saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zophar, for me. Well, why? He says, I need some help. If you really want me to do this, I'd like to do it. Like, help me make a legal deal. There's a man named Ephraim. He, he's got, a, a, notice, it says, He may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of the field, for the full price. Let him give it to me in the presence for a burial site. Now, if you remember the guy named Mamre, who fought with Abraham way back when he had to go save Lot's life. We're not sure the connection, but this this cave of Machpelah and the oaks of Mamre is exactly that same place. And now a guy by the name of Ephraim owns it. Maybe he's a son, maybe he's a descendant of Mamre, we don't know. Mamre was a friend of Abraham's, a fighter with Abraham. So Ephraim owns the land now. He owns the field, he owns the cave at the end, and he owns all the trees, most likely oak trees, the oaks of Mamre, if you remember. And so... Abraham says, here's what, if you really want me to do this, here's what I want you to do. Somebody, I want you to go with me. We want to approach Ephraim and that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns at the end of the field, for the full price. When he says give me, he doesn't mean give me. He means sell to me the land for the full price so I can bury Sarah. He wants to set up the legal deal. Now, I want you to understand something that in that day and time, in the communities, in the cities, they had the place called the gate of the city. This is where everybody went in and out of the city. They handled all the legal transactions at the gate of the city. When someone would say, and uh, Josiah sat at the gate of the city, that meant he was an official. That meant he stayed at the gate of the city and he helped deal with legal issues and those kind of things. So the, the elders of a city would come to the gate of the city if somebody wanted to buy something, if somebody wanted to sell something, if it was going to be something that they needed verified 
They would come to the gate of the city in the presence of the people and make decisions. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to come to the gate of the city. And they're going to make a deal. And Abraham is going to say to to this man, uh, Ephraim, I'd like to buy the cave, the cave of Machpelah at the end of the field and the trees in that area. He's going to offer to buy that. We're going to see how they made the deal. And they're going to be at the gate of the city so everybody can see what happens. So notice verse 10. Now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heath, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heath, even of all who went in at the gate of his city. So they're at the gate of the city. They're fixing to make a legal transaction. Ephraim is sitting there. I'm sure somebody went to him and said Abraham wants to buy the land. He came up there to make the deal. Everybody's there to hear what's going to happen and just to so-called make the deal legal because let's say they agree on something all those people are there you can't come back later and say I didn't say it was going to be that much money other people say yes you did we were all there the legal transaction was was this so that's why they're there they're to authorize the deal he sit at the gate of the city and of course Abraham comes and says basically sell me the land notice what uh, uh, Ephraim says no my lord hear me I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, he comes and Ephraim says, no, 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 no. Abraham, you are, you are a mighty prince among us. You are so special. I, I couldn't sell you that property. I, I will give you that property. I will give it to you and I'll give you the field and the cave and everything. And in the presence of all the people, I give it to you. Is that what he means? Because I've got up here, I'll give it to you. Does he mean, really, I'll give it to you? I'll just give it to you? Or is that some way to begin a bargain? Is it a way to make himself look good? Like, oh, I'll give it to you. Because he knows Abraham will not take it. Abraham will not take it for free. Because we know Abraham. Abraham has to buy the property to make it the way Abraham wants it. And Ephraim knows that. And so Ephraim goes, oh, I'll give it to you. Now, maybe, maybe he really was going to give it to Abraham, but that's not exactly how this all turns out. It looks to me that what he's saying is, no, 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 I'll give it to you. Oh, no, no, you can't give it to me. Oh, yes, I'll give it to you. Well, how about this price? Oh, sure. You know, that's what we're going to see. So watch what he says. No, my Lord, I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. What a great gesture by Ephraim. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. Now, let me ask you something. Who are these people? They're called the who? Hittites, the sons of Heath. Uh, are they good people or bad people in the long run? The Amorites, they're the Amorites, the Hittites, the Zebusites, the, the electric lights. They're all those people, right? They're the ones that later on when the people come back because the iniquity of the Amorites gets back, God comes back in and destroys every one of these people groups. But what does Abraham do before these people? He bows before these people. Abraham is a man of class. He really is. And look what it says. And he's, uh, Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land. This is in front. It's public. If you'll only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. He says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't give it to me. That's... That's their back and forth. I'll give it to you. No, 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 don't give it to me. Give me it for the price of the field. You know what he's saying? Whatever the real price of the field, when you sell this field, what would you sell it for? I'll pay it. Wow. 
Some say, why wouldn't Abraham, Abraham just take it when the guy offered it free? Well, how would he be obligated to him? He's his free as now as his land. Abraham did not want anybody to think somebody else made him what? Wealthy. Who made Abraham wealthy? God did. And remember when they came back from that battle and the king of, of Sodom came out, Sodom and Gomorrah came out and offered him all this stuff, and Abraham said, I'm not taking even one shoelace from you because I don't want anybody to think that you made me rich. God made me rich. I think maybe even in this situation, maybe he didn't want to take anything because he wanted, didn't want people to say, well, you know, Zophim gave him all that land. No. Everything's from God. He said, no, no, no. Give me, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay the price. So notice. Then Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. I like a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. But, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. He said this. Oh, well, I mean, what is it? I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a land like this is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? That's not, that's, by the way, it's a, that's a really high price. It's a high price for a piece of property. The best we can tell from the culture and the money, that that, that would be like a guy going, Oh, well, it's... 100,000 for this little area. But what is that between me and you? That's not very much. I imagine all the people went, Whoa, what a price. Give me a piece of land. And he says, But my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? Uh, bury your dead. What's Abraham going to do? Most would expect that Abraham would go, 400 shekels? What about 200 shekels between me and you? And they would go back and forth. That's what normally would happen. When I was in Israel in 1976, you'd go into the stores, and there would be this price on like a, a olive wood chess set, you know, and it has this price on it. And you go up and go, good night, $400 for that? Yes, 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 it's olive wood, olive wood. I'm not going to pay that. Well, three for you, for you, because I, I myself am also a Christian, because they know you're I am also a Christian. Three hundred. Three hundred? I wouldn't pay two two fifty. I mean it starts there's a deal, see? And so everybody expects when he goes four hundred shekels of silver that Abraham would go, Four hundred shekels? No, 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 no two fifty, you know, and they would go back and forth. But look what Abraham does. Abraham listened to Ephraim and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver which he had named in the hearings of the sons of Heath 400 shekels of silver. Commercial standard. Paid the price. No haggling. No deals. He paid the commercial price. We'd say this, that Ephraim is his friend and they all know, uh, you know, Mamre was his buddy, his friend, but he didn't get a deal on the property. Let's put it that way. He paid full price for the land you know what Abraham knew I'm buying this right now but guess what all of this belongs to me one day this is our land and it will always be our land so Ephraim's field which was in Machpelah which faced Mamre the field and the cave which was in it and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heath before all who went in at the gate of his city. There they are at the legal deal, gate of the city, deeded over to Abraham. So everybody saw it. From that day forward, that land belonged to Abraham, purchased by him. Now watch what he did. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing memory that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. Why do you think he did that? 
Why do you think he buried her facing the city Hebron? She probably loved the city. That's the first place they ever moved to when they got there. That's their original homeland when they came from the Ur of the Chaldees to come into the land of Canaan. And she probably had told him one day, you know, I always want to go back there. I always want to be there. And that's what he did. He purchased that. Now, I don't know if I had a slide. Yeah, the field and the cave, the gate of the city. Now, look at this. That's a special burial place. Why? Because, watch this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Because buried there, Abraham later dies and is buried there. Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. Jacob and Leah are buried there. There's some pretty famous names buried in that little cave of Machpelah at the end of that field. Wow. So here's the summary. So the field and the cave that were in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Sarah is buried there in the promised land. And Abraham shows that he trusts in God's promises. Because instead of taking her back to the home folks, he buries her in a place that some people say, why are you burying her out here? Not, none of your family's out here. I mean, this is, I mean, nothing, I mean, this is nothing. He said, no, 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 this is our land. This is the land gave us. This is our descendants. We're all going to be here. And when I die, I want to be buried right here too. And when Jacob dies, he wants to be there. And, and same thing, when, when Isaac dies, he wants to be there. And Rebecca and Leah, they're all going to be there. Luther said in firm faith that one day all of the land would be his and his own descendants. He laid down the bones of Sarah and took possession. Abraham, with the death of Sarah, realized that the promises of God would not be fulfilled most likely. In his lifetime, sure wasn't in her lifetime, probably not in his lifetime. The plot of ground was the first portion of the land of Canaan, which Abraham received legal title on. The future descendants of Abraham would one day have the land. It's powerful. That's why when people are fussing today, whose land is it, whose land is it, West Bank, Gaza Strip, this part, this part, let me tell you as it is. It's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the Jewish people. It will always be their land. What have we seen? Abraham faced death. How did he do it? Sarah died. He weeps and he mourns, but it's different from those who have no hope. Abraham faced life, how he saw himself as a, as a soldier and a, a, a soldier and a pilgrim passing through. And as an alien and a stranger, he looked to the eternal rather than temporal. And Abraham believed the promises of God. That's why he buys the burial area to bury Sarah, because that's their land. Applications. How are you facing death? Think about it. How are you facing death? We're going to all die. Hebrews 9.27 is pointing for man to die once, and after that the judgment. Will you be with Jesus Christ? You'll be separated from Christ. Jesus died and rose again, paid for sin, conquered death. And if you believe in him, you will live forever in that sense. And death's, Well, first of all, death's not the end anyway because he's conquered death. But when you die physically, either you're going to exist forever with Jesus Christ or you're going to exist forever separated from Christ because death is not the end. What determines where we be, it is through Jesus Christ. It is not the works of man. It is not our righteousness, our goodness. We talked about it in Sunday school about the lie of the devil is you do good things and you can be saved. You can have a relationship with God. You can be with God and he will love you. No, that's not true. It's faith alone in Christ alone. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace you're saved through faith, not yourself. It's a gift of God. I hope and pray, and as I look around, I know just about everybody, but I hope and pray that every one of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. You have eternal life. So how do you face death? You say, death's not the end. Because when I die, 
My body might go in the grave, but I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. Second question is, how are you facing life? Oh, sorry, trust Christ for Christ. Second one, how is you facing life? Well, we see things. Temp- do you see things temporally or eternally? Well, what we've got to do is, are we trying to lay up treasure on the earth? Or are we trying to lay up treasure in heaven? Are we trying to grab for all the gusto we can get? Are we living for the eternal things? Philippians 3 says our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through. We need to live, I think the next slide, we need to live for the things that last. Invest in people and in the Word of God. We talked about that. It's just amazing how the passages, you know, these. what are the chances that these passages come together on the same day? Because these have been studied long before today, and it just comes together that the whole idea, as we talked about this morning, what do you invest in? You invest in people and the Word of God. Same thing tonight. What do you invest in? If you're going to look at the eternal things, it's people and the Word of God. The third thing is this. Take God at his word. That's what Abraham did. We must live our lives based on the promises and truths from God's principles. That's why Abraham buried Sarah in Canaan and bought the land because he believed that this was the land that God had given them for him and his descendants forever. And so when they all rose from the grave physically, they would be right there. And we have to live our lives based on God's word. So tonight, when we think about this, May we face death, realizing it's not the end. We want to trust in Jesus Christ so we can spend eternity with him. May we face life, seeking the eternal and not the temporal. And then finally, may we live our lives based on God's promises, truths, and principles all found in the word of God. So there's some great things there that we learn from his word. Let's pray, and we'll open up for any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for this passage, Lord. Oh, there's so much in these, in these books. Lord, I, I just wish everybody in the church could uh, come and study the book of Genesis. It, there's so much here that we can apply in our lives, and I thank you, Lord, for the ones, the ones that are here tonight, that as we study and we see about life and death and eternity and the promises, and Lord, we want to realize that in Jesus Christ and him alone is eternal life, and we're going to live forever. Every human being is going to exist forever, but we're going to live forever because we have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, Lord, we know that death is not the end. Lord, thank you that in this life, we don't have to just grab for all everything here because we can live for the eternal, not the temporal, but the temporal temple won't last but the eternal will and lord finally we realize that your word is perfect and true and we want to base our lives on your perfect word of god thank you lord for these truths we ask this in jesus name amen okay questions comments any input questions anything yeah yeah Technically, wouldn't they still be spiritually dead because they're not with God? They're separated from God and Sheol because sin's only covered, not paid for. So is there like a difference there? Yeah, yeah they're not spiritually dead. They're separate because there's still sin, and sin blocks the way. But when they believe, they're spiritually alive. See, regeneration is truth from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when Abraham believed, he became spiritually alive. But he could not go into the presence of God because the payment for sin had not been made. Even though uh, it, the, there is the, he has the forgiveness of sin because he's believed God. So he's got forgiveness of sin. He has eternal life. But he, he cannot go into the presence of God because the sin dead had not been removed yet. And so all Old Testament saints are in Abraham's bosom, in the heart of the earth, 
on what we call the good side, paradise, and they're there until Jesus dies on the cross, pays for sin, removes the bear, comes and gets the people and leads, leads captivity captive. So it's not that they're spiritually dead because they're spiritually alive by faith. It's just that sin still blocks. The barrier has not been removed yet because the payment for sin has not been made. I think that uh, I've read some things that um, they believe they, they know where the burial place of Abraham is and that there's been some conflicts because Hebron is one of those cities in which the Palestinians and the Jews argue over. And I think, and I may be wrong, and somebody can correct me, but I was thinking that the, the, the Palestinians control the part of Hebron now. And so I remember reading that some tourists and some people wanted to go try to see the, the burial place of Abraham, and it was blocked, and it was all kind of issues, and that was several years ago. So we, I think we know where Hebron is and where the cave of Machpelah is and, and supposedly where Abraham's burial place is, but I don't know if we could go see it today because of the conflict that's over there. If anybody's got any other information. Hazel? I, I can't hear you. Okay, okay, so so uh, what Bible is that? Is it Ryrie's? Well, now, Ryrie says that they, they believe that the cave has been found. It's in the modern city of Hebron, and it's uh, near a mosque or above a mosque or under a mosque, and so that you can see now the conflict of why we wouldn't probably be able to go see the burial place if it's with a mosque there. But thanks, Hazel. Uh, that's assuming that... Ryrie's right, okay, but that's he's pretty right on a lot of things. Yes, because until he has a burial place, she's there. She's still in the tent. That's what he went into her. He comes out and he says, "If you'd like me to bury her out of my sight, meaning find me a place that I can put her away." That's that's what he means, I think. Which they had to do, you know. Their bodies weren't last very long in that kind of weather. Eight, eight days, 30 days. Who knows? Let's go see, uh, let's go see Sarah. Hello. You know, <laughs> who knows? Okay. What else? Questions, comments, input? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Abraham saw Jesus, yeah. Well, the angel of the Lord. Anytime the angel of the Lord comes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord most believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. And we just saw in chapter 22 that the angel of the Lord told Abraham to go and offer up his son, and the angel of the Lord was there. So many believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, so Abraham has seen Jesus even then. And that's... and, and that. And what Jesus is trying to show is that I've always existed. Even Abraham, when he saw me, he was glad to see me. So that, that's the best we can tell. Yeah. You know, the question is when, when God walked in the garden, because it says he would come in the cool of the evening. If God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, then most believe that throughout history when God makes some kind of manifestation, 
that it's the pre-incarnate Christ coming in some form. That's what most say. Even though Jesus all that time is a spirit being up to that point until he leaves the glory of heaven and becomes a human being. The Father is a spirit being. The Holy Spirit is a, is a spirit being. And Jesus is a spirit being until he takes on flesh to become a person. But a lot of people, when they study the Bible, say that the appearances, a theophany. A theophany means a God appearing because the word theos means God and phanereo means appearing. So a theophany is an appearing of God. Most believe that the appearance of God in the scripture, when you know he appears and does something uh, in the garden, maybe at the burning bush, the many people believe that's Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. Uh, making himself known. That's what some people say. We don't know for sure. It could be the Father. It could be. I'm not, he could make some form too, but most people believe it's Jesus. And that's why when Abraham said, you know, uh, when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, that we'd, somebody said, well, when in the world did Abraham see Jesus? Probably the angel of the Lord. I think from the original promise to Adam and Eve that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent, that one day this Savior, whoever it is, is going to rule the world. And from as you go all the way through Noah and they come off that ark and he worships God. And what's the plan? The plan of mankind is to take possession of the world and to rule the world. That's what they were supposed to do, but the fall. And so one day there is a Messiah coming. Abraham knew that he said, in you all the nations of the world be blessed. How could all the nations of the world be blessed through this one man, Abraham? Because the Messiah, the king, the ruler of the world is coming through him. So not only is the Messiah just a savior, but he's the king as well. Oh, yeah, because what does it say? Abraham was looking forward to a city, and he wasn't talking about Hebron, and he wasn't talking about uh, Salem, which is Jerusalem. He's talking about the new Jerusalem, whose city, whose builder and foundation and maker is who? God. God didn't build the earthly city, Jerusalem. He will build the heavenly city, Jerusalem. So that's what he's looking forward to. I thought somebody else said, was it? Uh, I see that hand up there. Yes. So you're not that green, are you? Listen, I'm going to tell you this. You're, there, all the people that want to save the earth, the truth is this. Uh, we're going to live for a thousand years on this earth with Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes back, he's going to make a whole bunch of changes to this earth. He's going to change all the Jerusalem area. He's going to smooth all that out. This whole world is not going to be the same when he comes back. I can guarantee you this. We... He, he's going to take care of this earth, and then one day he's going to get rid of this earth and make a new heavens and a new earth. And I, 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 there's nothing wrong with being wise on how we use the resources that God's given us. But some people are so tied up into this, they think the earth is what needs saving instead of us. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not that green. Let me put it that way. Okay, so I'd say, you know, be wise on how we use what God has given us because everything we have, the earth, the land, every aspect is from God to be used for his glory. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this, is this. This, this is the worst we're going to ever have it. And for the unbeliever, this is the best 
they don't ever have it. And so we go, I love, I love life, I love today, I love everything, but guess what? This is the worst it's going to ever be for us. So the best is yet to come, you're right. New heavens, new earth, the eternal kingdom. You know, we talk about the millennial kingdom, but in Second Peter he calls it the eternal kingdom. And so the uh, millennial kingdom is a thousand-year reign of the kingdom on this earth, but he makes the new heavens and earth and continues the rule of the kingdom. That's why if you've never read Jody Diller's book, The Reign of the Servant Kings, I mean, it's hard to read. It's big, thick, it's deep. It's, you have to read a page, and then you go, what did I just read? But it is a great book showing how that we are servant kings. And one day, we, when I say, if you live for Jesus Christ and serve him, you're a servant king. And one day, you will rule with him on this earth, and then you'll rule with him for all eternity. That's right. And you're doing great. Listen, she's been reading for three years, and I'm not kidding that that's about right. It is, a, it is a deep book, and the prince. There's so much in that book. It is a great book. It's called The Reign of the Servant Kings by Jody Dilla. It's, it's a great one. It's been out a long time, but it's, I still think it's the, the number one work. He just, bottom line is this he deals with the whole issue of, of uh, some people teach that uh, if you don't live right, you never were saved. Some people say if you don't live right, you lose your salvation. Both of those are wrong. There is another principle that you have eternal life and you're saved and you're saved forever and you don't live right. What you lose is rewards, not salvation or not showing you never had it. It all goes back to the issue of rewards. And if you live for Jesus Christ, you will reign with him as a servant king. And that's what the book is about. And I think it's the best work ever written on the whole subject. It is thick, deep, and you cannot just read it. You have to read it and write and think and go, what did he just say? And he does a tremendous job. It should be three books. It really is so deep. And he's revising the book. It'll be out in about another year, uh, The a revision of the book. I think he's made it bigger and thicker and longer. So, But it's a great book. Uh, uh, you better read the one you got. Yeah, just keep going. Anything else? I know we've gone over. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time together. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.